Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. It's Que Golazo weekend recap time and we go deep as Manchester City destroys Liverpool 4-1. What does that mean for the defending champions of the Premier League? And what does that mean for Pep Guardiola and co? We discuss the rest of the Premier League across Europe and so much more. Jimmy Conrad and Heath Pierce right here. Que Golazo weekend recap begins right now. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Que Go Lasso, our weekend recap. Heath Pierce, Jimmy Conrad. Heath, how are you, man? Oh, I got the Heath. How are you first? I like that. Respect. <laughs> I'm doing good. Uh, I, You know, we're going to get to it, but I saw one of the, my favorite games in the last 12 months uh, happen today. So I, I'm excited. Love it. Love it. Well, I went to you first, Keith, because you look like a character from Guy Ritchie movie and you're scaring me right now. So I thought <laughs> I had to go to you two first. But hey, we got Jimmy Conrad in the house. Jimmy C, what's up, man? Well, I don't know how I feel about being sloppy seconds to Heath <laughs> Pierce, but, uh, you know, I did try not to shave today to kind of look like Heath. Maybe I thought that would help me. You know, you come to come to me first, but apparently I have to have a more distraught looking beard. Jimmy, I have you every day, man. Come on. <laughs> like, we're an old married couple. I'm just he, kidding. I'm just kidding. Heath is like my guma. Like, you know, <laughs> we need to just play it around. <laughs> um, welcome, everybody. Weekend recap. Que go la so. You might be uh, listening to this one a little earlier than other weeks. And that's because, obviously, we wanted to grab all the attention uh, in the week of the Super Bowl, but also because really uh, today was a really big game, Liverpool against Man City, and Man City did the business 4-1 at Anfield. It hasn't happened since 2012, I believe. Could be even earlier than that. I'll be corrected very soon, of course. But that basically means, it essentially means, it does mean what all three of us thought all along, that Liverpool's hopes of holding the Premier League title, I think they're done. Uh, obviously, it's not mathematically impossible, but from a rhythm perspective, a flow perspective, a performance perspective, not just this game, I think you could say goodbye to it. Man City continues to lead. Let's begin with you, Jimmy, in terms of what you mentioned from a betting perspective and also just what this means for both Man City and Liverpool as we uh, keep moving forward. Yeah, first things first, I'm going to say rest in peace to Liverpool's hopes for retaining the title. Uh, I think it's done. It's dusted. I think this Man City team, and you mentioned it before, Luis, that even if City somehow lost this match, you still thought they were going to be the favorites to win, and I agree with you, and now this just makes it crystal clear. I don't think they have to worry about Liverpool really mounting a challenge anymore. It's just Manchester United. If they can outlast them through this month, Heath has been on the show before and said this is a really big month for City. So far, they've started it off very, very well, so I like them. What I found interesting, though, is with the lineup choices. Obviously, they just signed two center backs. Uh, Liverpool both have zero Premier League experience. Probably not going to throw them out there against a, a, an opponent of this caliber, okay? So I didn't, like, I didn't mind their lineup. Henderson and Fabinho, okay, got some experience. And the fact that City didn't start a striker. So they have Mares, Foden, and Sterling up top in their front three. They got the false nine going. Guys are going to kind of go in and out. And I was like, okay, well, Fabinho and Jordan Henderson are used to these guys because they run around them in the, in the middle of midfield. It's got to be a problem, but it was a big problem. And they did expose a lot of things. Trent Alexander-Arnold in particular playing a lot of Ole defense. Ole, like not really defending at all. So there were some big issues there and obviously some big mistakes from some certain players. Uh, Allison, I'm looking at you, who might have been actually the man of the match for me. Uh, just some tremendous assists to get those city attacks going. But Gundawan, I really liked his mental strength to, to miss a penalty, but then come back and score two goals. Phil Foden was excellent, scored an absolute screamer, but set up a couple as well. So... Good performance from City, something to build off of, and, and one mistake away from having another clean sheet. Ruben Diaz maybe makes his first mistake of the season for Man City as a center back. Just a good comprehensive performance. They took advantage. They punished for mistakes, and, and now we got a 4-1 result. Oh, from a betting perspective, I, I said 3-1. It was 4-1. I'm, I'm sorry, everybody, for that. But the bet that I wanted to, to I put for everybody was I have City winning, 
and both teams scoring plus 260 in that hit. So I'm pretty proud of myself. Yeah, that was the main one that you mentioned. And I hope that everybody listened to Jimmy and our friend, of course, and colleague Jonathan Johnson also said this one would get ugly. And it did for Liverpool. And I feel like uh, you mentioned Alison Loris carries uh, somewhere is eating some popcorn <laughs> watching this oh, one. I'm not. Listen, I mean, <laughs> we know how good Alison is today was not a good day. Heath Pierce, initial thoughts from this game, Man City destroying Liverpool. Yeah, I think initial thoughts are exactly that. Jimmy said it. Gundogan uh, and Allison, two very different things. Gundogan against adversity misses a penalty. You could have easily seen him overextend himself, but he just kept on going and then was able to make up for that uh, in a very, very significant way. Allison, that compounding of a of a mistake that you usually only see from young players, right? Jimmy knows it. That we and we've talked about it before. You make a mistake, your first thought is is uh, when, you, when you're younger, right, is, oh, man, I, now I got to do something even better. I got to make up for it. I got to show that I'm not really flustered by this, that I'm still the player that I am. And whereas a more experienced player usually will just be like, you know, be like a goldfish, let it go, short, short-term memory loss, and just keep on going. Uh, and this was one where he kind of seemed to be like, oh, I'm not going to be flustered. I'm going to just keep playing the way that I'm playing. I'm going to play out of everything like this and, and ends up with a couple uh, terrible assists. I don't want to overlook the fact, and this is just an initial thought here, that Man City playing with sort of no real striker is a problem. And that would was and should have played more into Liverpool style of play. Everything was underneath. They weren't stretching them. That's exactly what Liverpool wants. Bait everything underneath. And then when we get it, we go. Uh, and it didn't work out, obviously. And, and the scoreline doesn't necessarily suggest what the first half looked like. But overall... I can honestly say this is the first time in probably nearly 12 months that I wasn't looking at the stadium, looking around the empty stands of a big game, being like, this kind of feels flat. I need something else. I need fans. I need support. I need something. It just had that speed, the speed of movement, the speed of play, the uh, teams being able to break the pressure on one, two, three touches and moving the ball forward was just a, a joy to watch, at least for the first 60 minutes. Yeah, I agree. Actually, I was reading a few tweets on how some neutrals, uh, we're a little disappointed, but obviously that's going to happen when it, it remains scoreless, at least at the half. But I thought it was a very good example of what both these teams can do. Liverpool was pressing really high at the very beginning, especially for the first 45. Man City was trying to find their rhythm. Um, and, and really, it just, you know, the more the game developed, the more Man City's possession-based football was going to help them against uh, Jurgen Klopp. Jimmy, let me ask you something, something that he just mentioned. I don't think it was a problem for Man City that they didn't have a striker because the biggest issue is trying to contain people like Raheem Sterling and Phil Foden. And the moment they penetrate the box, that's when Man City, it doesn't matter whether you have Sergio Aguero or Gabriel Jesus or Riyad Mahrez or anybody. It's all about disruption, especially from the outside coming in. Do you find it an issue, the fact that they didn't have a natural number nine? No, I think they're built that way. I mean, even if it's Ferran Torres who did well in the Champions League group stages, you know, they, they slot in there. They just try to create numerical advantages. And when they get them, they run at you. And I thought it was very clear that they got some messaging from Pep Guardiola. If you get isolated 1v1 with either outside back for Liverpool, you run straight at them. They don't like to defend. They'll do it, kind of, but they don't like to defend. And I thought Trent Alexander-Arnold, listen, I'm a big fan of Trent. He's one of the best attacking outside backs in the world, no question. But his defending today in particular was was unacceptable uh, for, for a player of that level. And he knows it, right? We don't have to tell him anything he doesn't already know. Phil Foden ran right at Andy Robertson when he had the chance. Like, they got some directives from Pep. When you get in those situations, run at these guys. These, these, these CDMs don't necessarily know how to be center backs. Henderson and Fabinho, their covering might be a little bit different. And they, they exploited that area of the field, and that's where they created. Even the missed penalty was, was from Raheem Sterling, taking it right at Trent Alexander-Arnold and Fabinho getting all twisted up. I was really impressed with that in particular. Also, we haven't talked about the fact that Kevin De Bruyne didn't even play for Man City. Yeah. Kevin De Bruyne won the, the award for the best Premier League player of the season last season. He wasn't even playing and they decimated Liverpool. Of course, Liverpool have their own issues with injuries and I understand that and take that into consideration. I, I'm, I'm nervous for Liverpool. They could go trophyless this season. They're already out of the FA Cup. They're now not gonna win the Premier League and RB Leipzig is pretty good and they got them over two legs uh, here in, next week. And then also uh, in March for the second leg, they could be, they could be trophyless heading into uh, mid-March. Their season could be over in, in a really, and then all they're just trying to fight for is the top four. That's a really good point. What, how, how does Jurgen Klopp uh, see this season now, Heath? What is he focusing on now? Because does he still think that there's a chance here in the Premier League? Does he focus on just top four and really go for it in the Champions League? Uh, what do you think? I think it's top four. I think for sure. I think, 
And I think I said this last week uh, on our weekend recap, Liverpool have all the excuses to write off this year, right? But they do need to go into next season in a good place. You're probably not going to win the Champions League, right, with this squad. You're not going to win the Premier League. So all you can do is set yourself up for next season at this point. So I think top four should be their main priority and one that's actually, you know, realistic. I think... it's admirable how far they've gotten with the the the, the injury depleted squad. Having said that, they've got enough depth that of, of world class or quality players that I, I I think that they should be where they are. But they've gone through enough uh, uh, during difficult times that I think top four finish or or a, a Champions League position is really the only thing uh, realistic and one that they should be hedging their bets on um, right now. I, I also want to mention that uh, City. You know, if you look at Mane's chance in the first half, that was exactly what what Liverpool could or should have done in order to create chances, right? Just wait for those moments, counterattack, whip in a good ball, finish them. But when you don't finish them, that false nine situation of not playing with a traditional striker starts to wear you down. If you do not finish those chances, they will wear you down where eventually there's numerical advantages, 2v1s, 3v2s all over the field. And like Jimmy said, if you look at the second goal where Sterling's driving inside, Fabinho didn't want anything to do with that. Um, uh, What I'll say, I watched this goal a number of times, Heath. Trent Alexander-Arnold does absolutely zero. He's essentially a cone on this play. So Fabinho can't even get a read on which angle because Trent's not pushing him one way or the other. So it's not like he could... So, so yes, I agree with you. Fabinho probably could have been anticipating a little bit better knowing what Raheem did earlier in the game because he basically did the same exact move. Well, naturally, he's he's going to hesitate a little bit there, right? But at the same time, you're definitely right. But you're also you also know that why would you allow Sterling to go inside ever, ever? You know he's eventually going to go back that way. But if you can just slow him down to where he has to do stepovers or slow his run down or whatever, you can at least set yourself a little bit. Um, it's interesting when it was one one by the way, and there was that free kick. There was an offside call where they set their line. They played a short free kick from Man City, and Liverpool set their line again. That was perfect. That drew an offside call. I was like, this team might actually be able to. And I think it was one one at that point. Yeah. They might be able to squeak this out. There's a discipline in this team that you could tell they're not that that flustered. They're still in this, but I mean, it's a single moment. It's an isolated moment, but yeah, Man City, I, I just, uh, and honestly, I didn't go into this game thinking that Liverpool really had a chance at the title. It was more of how Liverpool could affect other teams in the title race with a result uh, on this one, uh, particularly Manchester United, who didn't help themselves this weekend. But yeah, overall, Man City, I think they've set or, or drew a record of some kind for, for most unbeaten or most wins in a row or something like that. That's ridiculous. But yeah, super in form and, and obviously able to, 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 to rotate a squad of, of players that are extremely deep. Well, I tell you something here, guys. Uh, December 19 is a key date for both sides. December 19 was the game where Liverpool won 7 nothing against Crystal Palace. It was also uh, the very first start of the run for Man City where they haven't lost a single game. And for Liverpool, actually, since that 7 nothing, they've created some results like 1-0 against West Brom, 0-0 against Newcastle, losing to Southampton, uh, barely you know, just getting by against Aston Villa's kids, drawing against Manchester United, losing to Burnley. So it's not just this game, but for Man City, since that game, they've won every single one. They haven't lost a game since November against Tottenham. That's incredible. And I think that's why where all of us said, no matter what happens in this game, it's really just about Man City at some point really taking hold of this Premier League title. And I think that's really been evident today more so than than any other match. Jimmy, when you look at this uh, remaining calendar for Liverpool, as Heath said, priority top four, he thinks, what do you think? What do you make their chances uh, in the Champions League? And of course, as uh, we continue the Premier League, because by the way, top four, it's not a given, right? No, Left I was, City, like, I was you know, just going to say that, that I'm looking at the table right now. So for everybody that doesn't have that all pulled up while you're listening to this, uh, you have City on top with 50. With a game in hand, by the way. Man United, uh, 45 points. Leicester, 43. Uh, Liverpool, 40. And now West Ham has 39. With the right behind them, West Ham. Let's give a shout out to West Ham. Everton have 37. They got two games in hand. Uh, Tottenham and Chelsea uh, both have a game in hand on 36. Villa's on 35 with two games in hand. And Arsenal have 31. That's your top 10. And as we're recording, by the way, Chelsea's still two play. So that That's could true. be even That's better true. for them. Right. So, so they're, I'm worried for Liverpool because... Yes, I, I don't. I don't. I don't know if they're going to get past RB Leipzig. 
because of how they've been playing, because of their their forms a little bit uneven, because of what RB Leipzig presents, you know, they 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 can beat you in so many different ways. And we're gonna know the young manager Julian Nagelsmann is gonna want to probably beat one of his his uh, mentors in Jurgen Klopp. You know, we've already seen him do it a few times with other managers over two legs. I think RB Leipzig is gonna be really tough to to beat. I could see them having nothing to play for except for the top four by mid March. And at that point, maybe they can get it together because all their focus can just be on that and they don't have to worry about any other competition. But even that, I'm still, I think West Ham will drop off. Everton will drop off. I could see Tottenham Chelsea, though, being the two clubs that they're going to have to worry about. And I'm sure we'll talk about Spurs a little bit. I mean, ultimately, Harry Kane just has to stay healthy for Spurs to really be the threat that we know they can be. But yeah, I'm, li- I'm, I'm, I'm worried. And Liverpool dropping into the Europa League is not good for business. And it's not good for the players and Jurgen Klopp. And I kind of wonder what Thiago Alcantara is thinking about these days. And by the way, Liverpool you- during like a disaster of a season. Absolutely. And by the way, as you mentioned all of that, um, you know, RB Leipzig, before that, it's Leicester City. That's not an easy game. Then you got the Merseyside Derby. They still have to play, obviously, like you mentioned, Leipzig on another leg. But then they also have Chelsea, Arsenal, uh, you know, games like Manchester United as well, Southampton again. Villa's not going to be easy. Like, you know, this is not going to be easy. Heath, ultimately, do you see them in the top four? I I. I do, but if if they don't make it in the top four, I think this weekend will be the weekend that we look back on, right? For both them and Manchester United not able to to finish off Everton. Everton, two games in hand. Liverpool now unable to get a result against Man City and now have this this run of games. And and for both of those teams, I think we're going to come back to to this weekend as that sort of changing point where the momentum shifts towards the negative, right? They, they, they've lingered on, and I think we're going to be able to track it back uh, to this weekend if they can't make the top four. But I do think Liverpool just have a way about them that a top four finish isn't unrealistic and, and certainly still one that, that, that they should be able to get. And I want Liverpool fans to know something here. That, that, you know, this is not just a criticism on performance. Clearly, the injuries have been a big deal. Virgil van Dijk, Matip, Joe Gomez. That's your three best center backs done, out. That's a major, major problem. There's been also injuries back and forth throughout the season where players haven't been fit for long enough. Diego Alcantara, I think, is still trying to figure himself out in the Premier League. So this is not just about form. It's about injuries. But having said all that, some of these results that I'm looking at in the past – uh, Jimmy are inexcusable. You cannot, if you are the p- defending champion of the Premier League, come on, you got to do a little bit better than get, you know, uh, lose to Burnley, get a, you know, result uh, nil nil with all due respect to Newcastle. You know, it's it's not, it's, it's tough, right? Yeah, I was going to say to Heath's point, we'll look back at this this game in particular because it was such a big opponent, but dropping points to to West Brom at home. Uh, not scoring against Newcastle, who, come on, they're, they're trash. Um, and I love them, even though they won 3-2 this weekend. Uh, you know, losing to Southampton after that. Those are the let's, games, I think. Those, those are the ones I look back losing, and go. Let's not forget losing 7-2 to Aston Villa when Virgil van Dijk was still I'm not, ta- I'm not trying to that's mention true. Villa, that's but that, you know, that's a big loss. It showed some vulnerability. It showed that they aren't the same team, that they are. you can't get at them, that they have lost a little bit of their edge, I think. I, I, I was talking with uh, one of my friends, about Trent Alexander-Arnold in particular. And, and Phil Foden did the same thing that Sterling did, right? When Foden scored, they, they let him cut back to his strong foot. I just wanted to bring that point up when Heath was bringing it up. It was clear some directive there. But I was talking about, look at him. It, it, let's use him as an example. He's young. He grew up in the Liverpool Academy. He's accomplished everything that you can possibly accomplish as a player. And at some point, you're going to have a drop-off. We see it with Rafael Varane with Madrid. The guy won the Champions League and the World Cup in one season. In one year, you're like, where do you go from there as a player? And I just think there might be some malaise that's seeping into this Liverpool team. And when you now lose some of your best players, some of your leaders as well, who can hold people accountable and they're not in the team, it, you can just kind of buy into the fact this isn't my, this isn't our season. Why we, not only do they have to put in the little things because of the champions to like maintain that edge, they have to like triple quadruple down on that because they're missing so many key players. And I just think that's such a big ask for these guys who actually probably haven't had a proper rest in what, two years. So I don't know. I think all that gets taken into consideration. So we're not trying to pile on. I don't think Liverpool here, but we're just trying to be as realistic as possible about their situation. And and I said maybe mid March they're going to be knocked out if they drop RB Leipzig. If they lose big in the first first leg against RB Leipzig, I mean we could see them you know knocked out of all competitions by by mid February, like two weeks, which would be wild. And now by the way, that game just got moved from Leipzig to Budapest, 
yeah. because uh, the German the Germans won't let uh, any UK based teams come in. So they're playing that one in Budapest, and everybody's cool with it. So I guess there's no fans, so it doesn't really matter. But I don't know. Can I can I ask this? If if this is the the ultimate downfall of Liverpool, what has gotten them to this point to still be part of? The yeah, title race, right? Fair. They've gone through all of this for a long time. And that's the only reason why I don't rule them out is because they found, I don't know if, and what I'm trying to, uh, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, have they found luck through this period? Or have they found, sorry, I dropped something. Uh, or have they found uh, like a grit and a determination to, to find a way to get results despite not having it? their best team or despite having to even day before matches change their squad and this constant rotation, have they found a new normal for them that has allowed them to still compete for a top four or is their luck ultimately running out and they were running on luck. They certainly have talent, but with taking into context, their entire season, they're the champions, all of this, all of these injuries, some bad results is, you know, but they're still in the, they were still in the title race up until today. Is it luck or is it, is it uh, a sort of a new Liverpool that we're seeing just find a way to work through these di difficult times? I want to jump in really quick. Cause I feel like our expectations for this club are, are very high, right? Based on what they've accomplished over the last few seasons. Cause I was feeling the same way about Mo Salah and Sadio Mane and the attack and Bobby Firmino. And then I looked at the scoring charts of premier league and I'm like, wait, Mo Salah's on top by three goals. Like he's got 16 goals so far. And it feels like most laws kind of having an off season. I can't, but he's clearly not. He's clearly putting up numbers and, and doing a lot of good things. It's, it's really interesting. And maybe it's because our expectations are so high because of what they've already achieved and how they play and their style of play. And it just was going to be impossible for them to match season after season. I think a lot of it has to do with the injuries at the back. And I think that's the results in what we're seeing before this, because I think that the high press, the gagging press system that Jurgen Klopp implements begins at the very back. It begins with a leadership and the vision from somebody like Virgil van Dijk or Joe Matip or Joe Gomez. Fabinho has been fantastic. Henderson have been, but they're not natural center backs. And sometimes you need, you know, you know this, that's, that's your position. Like, you know that this is, you, both of you guys as defenders know that everything, especially from a high press system, you have to see the field in front of you. And I think that's been a major problem for Liverpool. The fact that they haven't had that leadership at the back. Having said all that, Heath, I think you're right a little bit. I think a little bit of fortune has favored them in certain situations. But, you know, they're still fourth, albeit two games in hand above uh, other teams, like you said, Everton, et cetera. Uh, but so they still have that hope of maintaining top four. I'm with Heath. I think their number one priority this season, forget the Champions League. Let's see what happens there, whatever. Get your top four. That's You need the Champions League next year because Jimmy also, you, you know, drop into Europa, that is not good for this club. Absolutely not. All right, we've talked a lot about Liverpool. Well, one question from our producer, Brad. Who does club hug when you need a club hug? <laughs> Maybe the equipment manager? I don't know. I mean, you go with somebody that doesn't get as much love, somebody that, like... David Wagner. You call up David <laughs> Wagner. Yeah. You put him on the private jet, wherever he is. You bring him in. You give him a big hug. All right. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good one. That's, that's right. This man in his wedding, wasn't it? Something like that? Yeah. yeah. Sounds about right. Well, he lives in his old house, doesn't he? Or is that Brendan Rodgers' house? I think I can't remember. I can't remember what it was. Well, there you go. You just call up David Wagner. I think that's what you make. All right, let's focus a little bit on Man City. This is a force, a team. I mean, obviously, uh, it comes with the territory of having the riches of being a Man City club. But once again, Pep Guardiola uh, realized his mistakes from last season, I guess. And, and this is a team that's formidable. Phil Foden is just ridiculous. And it's so great to see in a team full of international stars that it's your local kid from Stockport that is really just shining. The fact that they don't have a striker, I think that's a, it's not really an issue just because of the system that they play like, like you can have anybody in that, you know, top of that pyramid. It doesn't really matter. The movement is so crisp. Ruben Diaz is absolutely fantastic. Rodri was amazing. Jamie, let's begin with you. Man City looks like they're going to win this title. What else can they do? Can they win the, can they win the Champions League? Finally, that's Pep Guardiola's ultimate uh, diamond to, to chase, right? Well, that, that, that gets away from our narrative of Messi joining Man City <laughs> next season and, and then them finally and, and Pep only being able to win the Champions League with Messi. Uh, so I don't want to I don't want to ruin that narrative. Do I think they can win it given how they're playing? Yeah, they were the best defensive league or best defensive team in the Champions League group stages, only gave up one goal, albeit their there's Olympiacos, Marseille weren't really too much of a challenge. Porto doesn't score a lot of goals, so it wasn't too hard. But they looked good in that competition. What I thought was the biggest key, Pep Guardiola came out at the end of December, mid-December, I think maybe around the December 19th thing that you circled on your calendar, and said that we were doing too much running. We were almost working yeah. too hard, and we weren't letting the ball do that. They figured out 
what was stifling them because they were very good defensively all season. They've been very good, but they weren't really flowing on the attack. And now they figured it out. And that is incredibly scary for, for whoever's playing against city in multiple competitions. So I, I don't know. I, 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 I think they can win the champions league. I think they're probably the best club in the world right now, uh, given current form. So it's hard to say otherwise they do sometimes stumble in that for whatever reason they get in their own ways. I feel like Pep wants to win that so badly. He overcoaches and tinkers too much. As long as they can maybe avoid French teams, they seem to struggle with French teams, then, then they might have a chance to get to the final and then anything happens from there. What I really like, though, is you have some players that are kind of going above and beyond what you expect from them. Ilke Gundogan in particular, he's been really joining the attack in a meaningful way, and I think that helps when you don't have a uh, real number nine and real striker. He just, he just kind of makes those late, I want to say Frank Lampard-esque runs, right, where he joins the attack, and it's very hard as a center back, and Heath knows, where you already have somebody to mark, and, or you're marking a space that you know you should be in, but then there's, you see this run coming in and you're like, okay, what do I, what do I do? And you have to make these split second decisions. And at that point, you know, Gundogan finds himself in good spots and, and uh, just a tremendous player. And I think he's really elevated his game and helped the team. I will say that when Marvis went out today, I didn't really notice he was on the field and I don't think he was as effective when Phil Foden went out wide. I thought they, they were a lot, a lot more dangerous. And that's, again, I can't believe Kevin De Bruyne wasn't even in the team. You know, we're not even talking about him so much. So you know, Rodri, I think, has really settled in. Obviously, Diaz has really helped solidify. He's like their Virgil van Dyke in a lot of different ways. John Stones. Dude, John Stones was on the bench and was looking, I think, for other teams to go play for because it looked like it was going to be Laporte and Diaz the whole time. John Stones comes back into the team. has been a revelation. These guys have a renaissance. And Cancelo is starting to understand it. Pep has talked about Cancelo coming in and really feeling lost that first season, but really understanding what he needs to do. And his confidence is off the charts. And Chanko has been very solid at left back. They're just so stocked at every single position. And Guerrero's not there, and 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 uh, Jesus is like it doesn't matter. It, it, it's just, yeah, I don't even know what the question was. I've just gone on off this rant and this love for Man City, but they are so good, and uh, they're the favorites. I think in every competition until proven otherwise. No, I think you answered it. Every single position in the Man City squad is just you know shining, and the fact that Kevin De Bruyne is not even in it right now it is absolutely in trouble. I think to me, Rodri is a revelation because he plays mm-hmm. that Yaya Toure uh, position where like they lose the ball, it doesn't matter. They got that sergeant right in the center mm-hmm. midfield. Heath, listen, they're still in the FA Cup. They're in the League Cup final against Tottenham, Champions League, Premier League. Can they win all of them? No, I don't. I, I, I think that you're going to have to make concessions along the way. I mean, when you look at, you know, just their squad. Yeah, they're they're deep. Uh, there was only one substitution today, which I find, you know, interesting at a, at a, at a 4-1 to not just move players out. But you can see he's not taking any chances. The Premier League is is seems like uh, front and center for them, even though it's the, the the Champions League. That's the elusive sort of title for Pep at Man City. Um, I, I think that would be really hard. I think they're going to go with the, the best roster they have consistently. And you're going to have to, you know, for anything that matters, and you're going to have to just rotate and rest. I mean, again, one sub today. Uh, and again, it was Riyad Mahrez who... I think was in some really good spots early on in this game to do something uh, special that you expect from a Man City player in really good spots. And he didn't really deliver on any of that. As Jimmy mentioned, I, I didn't really notice him more often uh, than not in the game, which is a common theme when I think Riyad Mahrez plays. I think he puts his foot on the ball too much, likes a little bit too much of that tiki-taki football that when you are in those high positions, as Jimmy mentioned in the very beginning of this, get the ball, run at them, right? And and when you can do that, that's great. But when he cuts it back to his left foot and constantly wants to do something different with it, I think slowed the game down. But I think you guys were spot on in terms of the players on the field. A player that I want to spotlight, though, is Bernardo Silva. I think in possession, he's so calm that he draws in one, two guys, and he always knows his out, whether it's passing, whether it's dribbling, and... When you are a high-pressing team like a, a Liverpool, there's nothing more frustrating than a guy like that who does not really bite on high pressure. He doesn't lose his composure. And when he spins out two, three times, you don't want to chase him anymore. You don't want to step. You want somebody else to do that because it's not just his passing. It's not just cutting down angles. It's just not sort of the overpress that that causes those turnovers. He can solve a lot of those problems, which I think over time wear on you. And he was a guy, again, today, when I looked at the first 20 minutes of the game, the pace was high from both teams. The pressing was good. Uh, they, would, they were breaking press on each other. Good presses, by the way. Uh, he was a guy that I thought was pivotal in continuing to sort of build that flow and confidence for a Man City in some of those intangibles that 
aren't just beautiful long balls or those types of things, but just consistently helping Man City. And even through that stretch, right, going back to the the, the comment that that Pep Guardiola said in uh, December sometime about working too hard, he is one that allows you to just sort of keep the ball and slow the not slow the game down meaninglessly, but break pressure in a way that allows you to now be facing the field and attacking in a meaningful way as opposed to just having possession for possession's sake. Yeah, and by the way, uh, they missed a penalty in this game. It could have probably been, you know, uh, even more or depending on the confidence. I mean, who knows? The rhythm of the game could have been better, but that just shows how powerful they are. By the way, as Jimmy mentioned, Man City, everybody, Premier League, top of the table, five points above Manchester United with a game in hand. They still have to play. Uh, The next game is Swansea. Hey, Jordan Morris. Yeah, Jordan Morris, baby. Connor, Let's go. Connor Hurricane uh, on Wednesday, FA Cup. But they also have Tottenham after that. Uh, an Everton game, Arsenal, Mönchengladbach two yeah. times. The Tough Manchester model. Derby. So there's still some good games for Man City, some tough games. But it seems that right now at this point, this Man City machine is not going to be beaten. Any final thoughts, Jimmy? I know that you do your hand raised right there. I do have my, my hand raised. I just want to say quickly that I think Pep has finally adopted in his career for the first time that defense wins championships. I feel like he sees that game from that perspective and that warms my heart. And I'm sure it does for Heath as well as a former defender. They've only given up two goals in their last 10 matches in all competitions. One was against, uh, was it uh, Cheltenham in the FA cup off a free kick, right? So a lot of concentration there. And then this was the one today where Ruben Diaz maybe makes his first mistake as a center back. Um, They maybe have had, could have had 10 straight clean sheets, which is, unbelievable and i think if they continue to see the game in that perspective perspective and to you guys's points figure out a way to find that nice rhythm and flow that makes them man city and really play that pep guardiola and really dictate when they speed it up and when they slow it down and have those let's say uh rhythm makers or uh tastemakers as i like to say bernardo silva who can really control that and find those gaps that's what i thought they were missing at the beginning of the season with david silva once he left they lost that guy and who is going to step up and really be the one that that sets the tone for when it's time to go fast and when it's time to go slow. Bernardo Silva settled into that role. Phil Foden obviously is growing into it. And it just makes such a big difference when you have those guys that have that type of confidence on the ball. And of course, it's a lot easier when you know you got a lockdown defense that, okay, you can take some risk. And if it doesn't work out, oh, we'll get the ball back. It's no problem. We're not going to get scored on. So I can't say enough about Man City. Maybe in a couple of weeks, we'll be talking differently after they have this tough month. But uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Well, Jimmy, the final point that you just made is spot on because when you look at this Premier League table and the goals against everybody pretty much in uh, 20 or above figures, Man City, they've conceded 14 goals in the Premier League so far. The next one is Tottenham with 22. That's just an unbelievable defensive record uh, for uh, Man City and Pep Guardiola. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, some other matches in the Premier League. Premier League heavy today, everybody. Uh, and then uh, a little bit more across Europe. Stay right here. Kego Lasso Weekend Recap. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to Kego Lasso Weekend Recap. Heath Pierce, Jimmy Conrad. We're going to talk about the remaining games, of course. We're not including Chelsea, Sheffield United. By the time you listen to this, I'm sure you'll know the score, but we are going through it right now. We're expecting a Chelsea win, but hey, anything can happen. Let's talk about the remaining games of the Premier League, uh, beginning, uh, obviously, from the Premier League table and down. Manchester United against Everton. Six goal fest over here. Uh, United looked good to nothing ahead. Then Everton came back to all. Uh, then United got another one. Uh, Scott McTominay, I believe, got that 3-2 lead. And then in the final moments of the game, DCL, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, equalizes, makes it 3-0. There were some complaints as well due to the set piece, et cetera, at the very end. But it was 3-0 and a very good result for Carlo Ancelotti. Not so much for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Jimmy, um, I think we predicted goals in this one. Uh, what, what, what do we have here? I had 2-1 to Manchester United. You know, if they just would have held on at the end and concentrated when it mattered and somebody make a play, take responsibility. To, to, it's a set piece, right? I think we've been on here before and I've probably said it countless times and I'm going to say it again. Defending set pieces has nothing to do with talent, has everything to do with effort and concentration and focus and, and an awareness. And so it's really disappointing, I think, if you're a Manchester United fan to let those three points drop and slip through your fingers. That's not how you win titles. And, uh, you know, they might be in the conversation for top four, but I mean, even if they were playing well, I think city's still going to run away with it, not run away with it, but they're going to be in, be in charge for most of the rest of the season. United could have put some pressure on them, maybe feel it a little bit, but this result I think really hurts them. We talked about circling a date 
of, of where Man United or where Liverpool lost the league or their whole season falls apart. I think we can look at this one as well, where Man United could have potentially kept pace with City. And now we're going to see a little bit of distance, I think, grow between them. It's unfortunate. They, they didn't play particularly well United in the first half, but Bruno Fernandes scored an absolute peach of a goal. Rashford's dropping dimes to the back post to Cavani. So they're making plays, right? And then I actually thought they played better when it was 2-2 and they got that third goal and it looked like they were going to lock it up. And that was then. Thank you very much. And it didn't happen. I, I think our big story narrative before this, though, was the lineups. Mm. Who was he, was he going to start the same team as Southampton uh, that won 9-0? And he didn't. He, he, he left Fred out and kept Pogba in. Unfortunately, Pogba got hurt in the 38th minute. They were up 1-0. If he stays healthy the whole time, I don't know. You, you, you know, you just don't know. And then Hamas didn't start against Leeds and Everton's win. He ends up starting, scores a pretty vital goal on this one to make it 2-2. So it's interesting, the lineup choices. I didn't think 3-3 was the, the fairest result. I thought United should have won. They should have won by a goal, which is what we predicted, and I'm pissed about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I uh, you said it in there, uh, Jimmy. I actually think the, com- the story completely changed once Pogba uh, was forced off and Fred came in. I think they, Man United, just naturally because of who Fred is, were forced to be a little bit less creative a little bit more, uh, less offensively minded. Again, I'm surprised Donny van de Beek didn't even see a single second of this game. Uh, but, you know, that's Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's job to make that. Cole, uh, Heath, how do you see this one? Everton, again, uh, Ancelotti happy with that point. They got some games in hand. Manchester United, I mean, you saw it at the end. Ancelotti and Fer- uh, Duncan Ferguson celebrating and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer looked like he's just been shot. It was uh, a tough one to, to take for United fans. Yeah, I don't want to take anything away from Everton right now. They're in form. They got two games in hand. Their, their, their own uh, future is, is, is in their hands, so to speak. However, this is Manchester United right now. And this came down to a, 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 a making plays in key moments. This was a game of, uh, this, was, this was moments, right? If you look to the last minute of the first half, they gave up a breakaway. It should have been 2-1 just before the half. Yeah, DC. It wasn't. Yeah, yeah, and it wasn't. And it wasn't like uh, you know a half chance or whatever where they they squeaked out a full blown breakaway from the half line. Essentially, uh, they don't get that. Then they give up a, a goal to start the second half, and that is again shutting up. You shut off before the end of the first half. You shut off to start the second half, and then you go to the Hames goal. I don't want to take anything away from the goal. Great finish, but. Jimmy talked about uh, Gundogan's timing of that late runner, right? Of, of how hard that is to pick up. Sure, no problem. But in this situation, when you have a cutback like that, the only thing, when you see teams that are on and confident and tuned into moments, when they see a cutback like that, you immediately see a center back taking that chance to go out there and do the whole hockey dive or slide or whatever, roll into it, whatever they have to do to put something under pressure. Because... James had time to take a touch. Granted, it was a fantastic touch in terms of the ball and then strike the ball uh, to score on the top of the box. And when you are a team that is tuned in and dialed into those moments, you know that, hey, we're in this position now, but we're going to have to make a play if there's a cutback. That cutback happens, somebody has to go. And and it was it, it, no one closed it enough to, to, to stop that shot. And James should not have that much time, even though it was a quick release, to get a shot off. And so for me... It, although you can go back to the style of play and Pogba going out injured and those types of things, the game was already in Manchester United's hands. And then they had to do what a Manchester United should be capable of doing. And that's to just be uh, um, professional in their approach for the rest of the game. Stay tuned in, stay dialed in in the same way that we see with city from a defensive first mentality. You don't see those things happening. Teams that are, confident or informed or, or, or title chasing in the way that we saw Liverpool last season, the way that we're seeing city. Now teams that are going up for, for, for trophies. Don't, don't give up those types of moments. Mm-hmm. Those are automatic moments where if it's not one guy, it's the next. And if he gets beat, it's the next guy. It's this constant, like I've got your back moment. I'm going to make a play for my team. And they didn't do that in, in, in key moments at uh, key times of that game. Yeah, it's situations like that that just means why you will not be the Premier League champion. Uh, Jimmy, listen, uh, listen, Europa League returns for them as well. La Real, Real Sociedad as well. Uh, before the first leg, Newcastle. Uh, uh, no, sorry, after the first leg is Newcastle. But then after the second leg, after that game, Chelsea, uh, they face Chelsea and then they face Man City. Is the Europa League going to be a big distraction or is this something Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going to really want to uh, take a control of? Does he want a trophy that badly? Oh, I think he wants a trophy. I think that they should get past Real Sociedad. This isn't the same La Real from earlier in the season who were unbeatable. This is a very vulnerable Real Sociedad that haven't 
done so well. So I think the first leg maybe dictate what you're saying, Luis. Like if it doesn't go well, all right, let's just see what happens and roll the dice in, in leg two. But if they come out and really put their stamp on things and take a big league in the leg one, then I think they'll take it a lot more serious. Not to say that they won't. I mean, obviously, a tr trophy's at stake here, and I think they can see it. But obviously, getting top four, getting close to City, they're not going to win the Premier League. I never thought that at any point, though they had surprised me. We're back kind of in the, is Ole Gunnar a good manager <laughs> conversation? <laughs> We're back there again because, to your point about Fred, I will say to defend – the, the, the sub at that point, United were up one zero. They end up going to score two zero at that point. Fred is now in. He seems like the logical choice. You bring in Van de Beek, he's a little bit more attack minded, a little bit more transition minded. That might have been, though, to kind of Man City's way of, of approaching the game that if you have the ball, then you don't have to defend, right? And if you have a player like Van de Beek in the team, he's going to keep the ball a little bit better than Fred. He's not going to take those risks. I think Bruno Fernandez loves playing with Van de Beek because they kind of see the game the same way. So mm. it's one of those things. But Fred and McTominay as the two double pivot CDMs have has had pretty good success for them. Now, we're coming hard, I guess, a little bit on United. I mean, they haven't lost in the league in forever since the – they haven't lost in the league since – geez, it's been since the end of November. No, excuse me. The beginning of November. No, Jesus. They lost to Arsenal. They started in November. Since then, they've lost twice in the Champions League. And they lost to the to Man City in the, the semifinals of the League Cup. Oh, they lost to Sheffield. That would be their only loss. But that but that's a long time. I mean, that's just there's their No, they're doing well. The flow, the doing, rhythm. I know, I know. And so it's like I'm coming hard on them, but but there is still something I feel like they're missing to Heath's point. Like, where is that? That yeah. streak of like we're winners and winners make yeah. these plays. That's what I think, they do. And, and I they're think missing that. I think that's the ultimate conversation that we're trying to have that many of us actually, especially the ones that remember Sir Alex Ferguson's uh, are, are continue to battle with. I think there's two narratives here. One, what can Manchester United do in the days of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and comparing that to Sir Alex Ferguson's time. That, that's not the same thing. We can say goodbye to those days. This is now Manchester United just basically trying to be a top four team, trying to maybe disrupt a little bit of the flow from a Man City, et cetera, maybe get a good run in the European continental competition, but that's it. This is not a team right now that's good enough to win the Premier League title. Can it be that? Maybe, maybe so. But right now, I don't think that that's the case. Um, let's keep talking of the remaining matches uh, from the weekend, of course. Uh, Aston Villa won. Arsenal, nothing. Uh, I wanted to say that nice and loud for Heath Christian. <laughs> Wolves and Leicester City uh, drew nil-nil. Fulham, West Ham, nil-nil. A ridiculous red card, in my opinion. Susek got sent off there. West Brom losing to Tottenham, 2 nothing. Newcastle against Southampton. Well done, Newcastle. 3-2 against Southampton. Mm -hmm. uh, although Callum Wilson had to come off injured. We'll see how that goes for them. And Burnley and Brighton tied. Of course, we're discussing this. Uh, during uh, the Chelsea Sheffield United game. So they're still pretty. And then Leeds, Pele, Crystal Palace on Monday. Anything from those games that you wanted to talk about? Let's begin with you, Heath Pierce. Yeah, Arsenal aren't great. You know, that's pretty much. <laughs> Let's just leave it much, there. Uh, yeah. Thanks for your time, Heath. It's, it, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's the, you know, Arsenal is Arsenal uh, at the moment. And so, you know, you just... Yeah, mental errors. Mental errors. I, I think they have the quality of players to 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 compete at least uh, with the Villa. But um, you know, you saw with David Luiz and and Leno being sent off uh, in midweek, uh, and the team playing decently then to to you know um, this weekend. And and look no, again, I don't want to take anything away from Villa. Villa are, are a very good team. Um, but yeah, that's just that's really my only 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 point from from this weekend. Did you think? Did you team. think that was a red card? On the, on the play, the guy breaks through. I don't know if everybody saw it that's listening or watching, but there was a play where Saka gets taken down. I, I don't think it was – like, I, I read – I didn't see the game live. So I read all the things, and everybody's like, oh, red card. You go on Twitter, everybody's, you know, up in arms, and you understand that, they, you know, people are shouting at the mountains for this, especially because they came off a game against Wolves where they were a little bit hard done by by the referees in VAR. Yeah. I didn't think – then I watched it. I was like, that's not a red card. He's no, not, he's not, if anything, it's the other way around. Yeah, actually. <laughs> I agree. I agree with that. When I, when I, when I watched it and, and, in, in the live shot, they, and I think also in the, in the replays or highlights, they cut to Arteta who's freaking out. Right. And so when you mm. see it in real time, you're like, oh man, something, something is like something happened here. And then when you watch it from the other angles, you're like, they kind of scrapped with each other and then their yeah. legs get completely like tangled up. And if anything, I would have said it got, it went the other way where they sort of, it, uh, Saga got clipped after clipping, you know, it was like right, one of those right, right. weird things where the legs got locked up. So I don't think, 
I don't think a, a, a red card would have been uh, the, the right way to, to go. But it's like one of those things where even when you looked at the Mosala uh, penalty today, you're like, oh, he's pushing off. There's a little grab there. There's a little grab here. Where's the first foul to the second foul? Which one is the big one? Um, but I think, I think a, if, if anything, it could have been an overturned call the other way. But I think a red card would have been harsh. harsh. Also positionally, yeah. you know, it's near the half line, but out wide. It's just a long way to go. It's just you, you have to speculate on how that whole world plays out. Um, I mean, the Arsenal fans online made it sound like the guy was in clean. On no, a no, no, Jimmy, and I, Jimmy, like, say that. Start that sentence again and then know what you're saying. The <laughs> Arsenal fans online. Have you ever heard anything different? No. Have you ever heard, no. you know, like and no one started that sentence with 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 that and then ended it with, well, they're, you know, they're pretty complimentary. They're pretty rational. <laughs> yeah. I, I am staying way out of that one. All right. Let's uh, Jimmy, what are your thoughts from all those games uh, for uh, your Newcastle? A good win against. Yeah, Africa. yeah. Big win. Obviously, uh, very happy. I think Alonson Maximin makes such a big difference for the team. He has that sauce. You know, I think because he's so unpredictable in how he plays and where he gets the ball and he tries things, I think it puts the defenders on the back foot. And I think that creates space for other players, most specifically in this particular game, Miguel Miron, who had a little bit more space, probably played one of his best games in a Newcastle shirt. And uh, we got out to a big lead. Of course, as Newcastle does, we gave up a goal and got a red card uh, five minutes after the second half to make it 3-2, then a squeaky bum time the rest of the time. But we found the three points. Really happy about it. That puts us 10 points clear of Fulham from the relegation zone. So I don't know if that's going to be enough, but I think that gives us some breathing room and hopefully a little bit of confidence. Though I really just want to give a shout-out to Tottenham. They've obviously been in a bad way. And the fact that uh, Harry Kane comes back into the team and they win, it's going to be really important for them as I think they're still trying to you know, nip the heels of of Liverpool in particular, and maybe even Leicester to get to one of those third or fourth spots. I think United will get top four for sure. But, but I uh, just, you know, there's something still about Spurs. They're, they're not going to be easy. It's going to be, uh, you know, you, they, they want to get into a fist fight with you, you know, as a team. And, and that's how Mourinho sets up his teams and, and gives them that kind of attitude. And I think they're going to be hanging around there for the last couple of weeks. And we'll see what happens at the end of the season. Well, they are hanging around. They're eighth uh, and they're, they have a game in hand to, uh, Chelsea and West Ham and Liverpool. Uh, but I think there's something to be said about the fact that without Harry Kane, they are a completely different team. Yeah, 100%. Sometimes you can't rely too much on somebody like that. Um, all right, any final things from the Premier League before we just uh, ask around uh, what's going on around Europe? Uh, I think the only thing worth saying, by the way, to your Newcastle's point is, you know, a few weeks ago I said Newcastle are, are as good as done, but these uh, <laughs> results today have really helped them. The fact that West Brom lost, uh, the fact that Fulham um, you know, tied with West Ham and Burnley and Brighton tied, Wolves tied. So Newcastle, the only one from those uh, bottom groups, uh, got uh, a full three points. That's that's major yeah. for Steve Bruce, Steve Bruce and the Magpies. Um, but yeah, that's it. All right, let's uh, let's finish everything with Europe, everybody. Uh, just uh, quickly around the group. Obviously, this is also being taped before Barcelona faces Real Betis, but Real Madrid just about squeaks against the worst team in La Liga. Serie A is interesting. Juventus uh, beats Roma. Uh, AC Milan and Slatan Ibrahimovic do the biz against Crotone from AC Milan. Anything that you want to talk about from Europe? Jimmy Conrad, begin with you. Yeah, first and foremost, I want to apologize to anybody who put money on Stuttgart. I thought they were going to do the business against Leverkusen. Leverkusen had more guys available than I thought. And they came out and crushed him. It was like 2-0 after the first five minutes. It ended up 5-2. to two. I just want to, for all the ones that I do hit, uh, bets wise, I do want to apologize when I miss. And that you're allowed was, one every now and then. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. What, so what, what, what led you on that one, by the way? Because Stukar, uh, Leverkusen had an injury list that looked comparable to Liverpool. Yeah. And, and like, Sheik wasn't supposed to play. Arangis wasn't supposed to play. Verts, Demir by none of those guys were supposed to play. They all played and they all like banged it and had great games. So the Bender brothers weren't supposed to play. And then uh, Stuttgart was the second best road team uh, in the Bundesliga this season. I thought, all right, maybe they'll get something out of us. They didn't get anything out of it. So I apologize on that. I like it. But Borussia Dortmund, uh, they lost again. I, I don't really know what's going on with that team. It doesn't bode well ahead of their matchup against Sevilla in the Champions League. So that that's something to be give them pause. I'm curious as to who's going to take over because they need a manager at this point. And then uh, I will say I did hit one bet. I had Ronaldo to score in Juve's game against Roma and Juve to win 2-0, 2-1 or 3-1 played plus 450 and it did hit. They won 2-0. So I'm happy about that. As a Roma fan, pretty disappointed in how we performed. Ed and Dzeko came off the bench. The game is different when he comes in, when he plays. It's already 2-0 when he comes off the bench. If you're going to make amends because him and the manager got into it, just start the dude. Like if you figured out, like start him, he's a better player than, uh, than Mayoral. 
Um, he, he fits the system a little bit better. He's usually your captain. Just start the guy and give us a better chance against you, So I'm pissed about that. I do want to say a shout out to Rafael Veron having a tough season, scored a brace to help uh, Madrid just eke by the worst team in La Liga, Huesca. And uh, as you mentioned, Luis, I want to uh, give a shout out to Zlatan. The guy's an ageless wonder. His, his first goal in particular against Cortone with a nice pass from, from Rafael Leal, who I think is one of the best young players in the world, probably doesn't get the respect he deserves. Zlatan had a brace today, uh, his 500th goal uh, of his career. I mean, the guy's, the guy's just next level. He is just a next level player. Yeah, he's just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, Heath, anything from you across Europe? Yeah, I think, uh, again, same as Jimmy, I'm disappointed with with the way Dortmund has come out uh, since uh, Farva has gone. I think uh, they started to press well. They changed the way that they played, but now you've got Gio Reyna sitting wide on the wings and not as involved. It's a different type of system, and it seems like they can't really figure uh, it out. I think when uh, Mukoko is on the field, he's a game changer. He needs to get more time, but then the sacrifice becomes where do you, where do you, who do you take off? Who do you remove? Um, yeah, I think it's, it's been great to see, um, Eintracht Frankfurt and, and Leverkusen continuing, I mean, sorry, uh, Wolfsburg continuing to push in, in the table. I think Wolfsburg are in, in third place. RB Leipzig got a good result over, uh, um, over, uh, Schalke this weekend with where we're Hoppy and, and Adams both played, which is always exciting for us. Um, but overall, I think the, the only takeaway that I have from this weekend is that I, I think there, there's still some drama to be had in Syria with with um with uh Juventus taking down Roma I think Juventus is showing a a team that's not going to go away easy and they're going to they're going to push on AC Milan and Inter Milan who are both extremely confident and 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 competent uh right now but I think that we could see uh with potentially Roma as well a a, a sort of three three teams going down to the wire uh cuz I do think uh, we could see Juventus one to you know three points out of a title race uh, for the rest of the season, and you, if you give them any gap, I do think they'll close that. So yeah, that's my only other thought. Well, the three-horse race in Serie A is happening right now. Milan with 49 points, first place. Inter uh, with 47. And Juventus now in third with 42. Of course, Roma with 40, etc. And Napoli, 37. But that three-horse race you're talking about is very much happening. By the way, as we're talking, uh, by the time you listen to this, maybe you know exactly what happened in Le Classique, as we know that Neymar didn't start in that game. He had some issues. Uh, obviously, he had a birthday uh, a few days ago. I don't know if that's related, but uh, there. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. Aside from that, this crew will be back once again next week to recap even more. Jimmy will come a little bit sooner as well. Jimmy, thank you so much, bud. Yeah, thank you. Always a pleasure. Heath, thank you, brother. Yeah, thanks. And thanks for commenting on my sort of Brighton uh, organic cafe owners uh, outfit that I wore today. You know, it's <laughs> no, just very it's much like, uh, you know, I, I've moved on from that hooligan life and now I've opened up an organic cafe near the coast. And I appreciate you making comment of that. <laughs> I, I see you more as like, you know, uh, Brad Pitt's cousin in, in Snatch. Like, oh, you're a big boxer. I bet you're a boxer. <laughs> that's the that's way you look like. You like dags. Hey, you like dags. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Hey, everybody. I want to thank Jimmy Conrad and Heath Pierce for joining me today. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Pod. We are on Apple Podcasts. Please leave a rating and review. We're also on Spotify and Stitcher. And we have our very own YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash So Make sure you can see all of the episodes right there. But make sure that you also see us on cbsports.com. Have a great beginning to your week.